grab your Bibles, open them up to Romans chapter 4, and we're going to read through verses 13 through 25. We're going to just honor the Lord and honor his word as we read. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read through this passage. Would you stand with me, please? Starting with verse 13, Romans 4. For the promise that he, Abraham, would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that we might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 17, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who, contrary to hope, in hope believed that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone, but it was that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. You may be seated. Good news. In this battle, grace wins. Grace wins every time. And we've seen the examples of Abraham and David. Abraham's testimony, we saw. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And David's testimony, Romans 4, 7 through 8, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So David, it's interesting to me if you've read the Psalms and especially David's Psalms in the early Psalms, you've probably noticed and kind of wondered what's going on here because David talks about, Lord, how righteous I am and how wonderful I've done. And, 
Yeah, it's because of you, but I'm sure doing great. But then what happened? David fell. He stumbled. And as a result, he truly discovered that he wasn't as righteous as he thought he was. Later Psalms reflect this sobering realization from David, like Psalm 32 where he says, I am so blessed. My lawless deeds, they've been forgiven. My sins have been covered. And blessed is anyone, blessed is the man or the woman or the boy or the girl to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. I like that. True story. A woman was running to catch the plane and oh, she was hungry. She hadn't had breakfast. Got up late. Everything was going wrong. She grabbed a a, a bunch of cookies and uh, a magazine. She finally got to the gate, got on the plane, sat down in an aisle seat and one seat away from her next to the window was a man. And now that she's sitting down, she's hungry, she reaches over and opens that bag of cookies. And she grabs one. And to her astonishment, the man one seat away also reached in and grabbed a cookie. Utterly amazed at his audacity, she stared at him. Kind of, what are you doing? She grabbed a second cookie. He reached in, grabbed a second cookie. And she was beside herself. She was dumbfounded. The behavior, she'd never seen this kind of behavior before. Puzzled, angry, hungry through the whole flight. She's normally a very polite, gentle you know, ex- extremely courteous person, but she had just had it. This was too much. And as the took the seatbelts off and beginning to head out of the plane, she turned to him and she said, Sir, you are the rudest person I've ever sat next to on an airplane. Turn and left. And she was so hungry, she went to a restaurant and to her amazement as she opened her purse, there was her bag of cookies. You never know what's really going on. You never really know the whole story. Be careful, like David. You realize sooner or later you're going to blunder. That's why David says, man, so happy is the man or woman whose sins are forgiven. For David... Grace wins. I like that. We go to verse 13 of chapter 4. you got your Bibles open. As we look over this passage now and talk about it a little bit, the heavyweight battle between law and grace, here we go. Verse 13. For the promise that he, Abraham, would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And Paul continues this battle, and in your notes, if you look at number one, Abraham was declared righteous 500 years before the law was even given to Moses 
on Mount Sinai. It was grace that covered his sins. Obviously, righteousness comes apart from the law. God never intended the Jews to become right with him by keeping rules and regulations. What was the law? The law was to expose their need for their Savior, the promise who would come someday. It didn't save. Salvation has always been by faith. Look at verse 14. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is made of no effect. So you look at law and the promise. You look at law and grace. You look at that battle. And you have to understand what Paul is saying. Law and the promise, law and grace are mutually exclusive. You can't have both. Something can't be purchased and free at the same time. One nullifies the other. You can't receive salvation through the work of Christ and your good deeds, good works. Look at Colossians 2.6, the NIV version. So then, just as you received through faith Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live through faith your lives in Him. The reason I'm bringing this verse up as we look at is faith and faith alone in Christ alone that brings mercy and grace and forgiveness of sins. You see, for some of us, and at times I think all of us, we struggle with this battle of law and grace in our lives. Even after we've received Jesus Christ as our Savior through faith. And I think that's why... Paul reminds us again in this next verse because he knows that we're going to have a tendency to go back to the law and try to be good enough to earn God's love. But that's not what it's all about at all. So he reminds us, look at the verse 15, the first part of that. Because the law brings about wrath. Stop right there. Think about that. True story. The management of a lakeside resort. They had a problem. Guests would fish off the balconies of their rooms. And with the restaurant located on the bottom floor, many times the fishermen would inadvertently crack the restaurant windows with their sinkers as they tried to cast. The problem was getting worse. They put up more signs. The hotel called a consultant. He solved the problem immediately. The solution is very simple, he said. Remove the signs. This done, they no longer occurred to them that they would fish from the balconies. True story. Galatians believers fell into this trap. Galatians 3, 1, verse 1 and 3. Paul says, Oh, foolish Galatians, 
Who's cast a spell on you for the meaning of Jesus Christ's death? The fact that he became sin for you and your sins were put on him and now by his mercy and grace you're set free? It's made so clear to you, you even, like you see a picture of his death on the cross. And Verse 3, how foolish can you be? You started your new lives in the spirit and the freedom of what Christ has done for you. And why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? It's not going to work. And Paul continues his argument here, law versus grace, with a rather strange statement as we finish verse 15. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. And I read that and I kind of scratched my head. What are you getting at, Paul? Well, this is what I came up with. We saw in chapter 3, law's purpose was never to save us. It was to expose our sin. Without a standard, we wouldn't have known that we were in violation. There's no transgression. But you know what? You know you're speeding if there's a sign up there. And if the speed limit is posted, why, now we can all drive under 55 miles an hour, right? Yeah, exactly. It just doesn't work that way. So what is, how far can I go? Well, they're not going to tell you. But every single one of us, Paul's point, we all need grace to win this battle. Verse 16, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure. Oh, I like that verse. Stop right there for a minute. Look at your notes, number two. Salvation must be by faith. If it were by works, you would always wonder if you'd done enough. You'd never quite know for sure. Are we staying close enough to the speed limit? We would feel like, I need to go forward every Sunday. I need to be baptized again. We'd walk around feeling beat up and confused and struggling. Have I done enough? But when we understand that our relationship with Jesus is not based upon my merit or your merit, it's based upon Jesus' love and person and work on the cross of Calvary on my behalf, on your behalf. Salvation becomes something we're not afraid of losing anymore. Someone has said, and I like this, salvation, well, the Father thought it, the Son bought it, the Spirit taught it, Satan fought it, But praise the Lord, by His grace, we got it. Amen? Amen. Grace wins. 1 John 5, 11-13. It's 
why John the Apostle said, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. And He who has the Son can have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I'll never forget the Bible study that we were in here in this auditorium on a Wednesday night quite a number of years back. And there was a very dear friend, a, a gal, and she says, What? You're saying that I can know that I will go to heaven? And we sat down and we went through these very verses. And with tears in her eyes, she said, I never understood that before. I belong to Jesus. He's not going to let go of me. I'm going to be forever with him. And my sins are forgiven. Wow. And so, that's why Paul is saying here, Therefore it is of faith, verse 16, that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. So all there in Greek. You know what it means? All. It's just that simple. It means you, it means me, it means anyone, if they're Jewish background and they put their faith in their Redeemer, they're saved. If you're a Gentile and you hear about Jesus' love and you put your faith in Him, you're saved for eternity. The only way the promise can be sure for lethality especially as if it's Totally by grace. <laughs> if he must, if all he must do is believe and trust in what I've done for him on the cross because I've loved him, he's going to make it. Wow. And this is my favorite verse. And this is why. Because it's about Jesus and what he's done that I couldn't do for myself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He, the Father, made Him my Savior, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for me, for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Let that sink in. That you may know that you have eternal life. Look at your notes. Number three. See, apart from grace, we're not going to make it. We'll fall short. We will miss the mark. We will exceed the speed limit. Verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of Many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead 
and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Notice the tense of this verse. God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 17.5 saying, I have made you the father of many nations. Although in reality, it hadn't happened yet. In your notes, number four, God speaks his promise in the past tense because so certain is his promise because God spoke it. It's as though it's already happened. I like that. God gives life to the dead. Was Paul speaking of Abraham or or Sarah's body reproductively? Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90. Or was he referring to Abraham's belief that we read in Hebrews where if he actually sacrificed his son Isaac, that God would raise him from the grave, from, from death? I don't know. Probably both. He's the father of faith, you see. So what does genuine faith look like? Paul says, let's take another look at Abraham. Verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope, and I would add in the sure hope, he believed. Even though it humanly looked hopeless, physically, logically, Abraham believed God. There's a a Bible teacher, he was a retired seminary professor. He says, I know a sure way to predict the success of pastors in training. If I can just go to one single sermon. He said, I come to hear if they are big godders or little godders. Some men have a God who can't do miracles, hasn't spoken infallibly, doesn't intervene for his people. Well, they have a little God. I call them little godders. But there are other men who have a great God. He speaks and it's done. He commands and it stands fast. He shows himself strong on behalf of them who fear him. These men are big godders and God will bless their ministry. Abraham. Well, God said it. I believe it. In his heart, that settles it. Not because of who I am, but because of who God is. The patriarch Abraham, he was a big godder and his big God responded to his faith. And we'll, a little bit later in the message, we'll see that yes, he had incredible faith, but it wasn't perfect. We'll get there a little bit later. So that, as we finish verse 18, so that he became the father of many nations According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. God said it. Abraham believed it. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old 
in any reproductive capacity. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, she was 90. Now, I had to find out, so I looked this up. The Guinness Book of World Records. You ready for this? On August 20th, 1997, Don Brooke from the UK became the oldest natural mother. And I'm not going to get into what that natural means. Okay. When she gave birth by cesarean section at the age of 59, and then it mentioned this, she conceived accidentally. Duh. <laughs> well, the Bible actually tells us that Abraham's wife holds the record. Abraham and Sarah became proud parents after Sarah's 90th birthday. Think about that. Yeah, wow, is for sure. Think about this. Her friend said, are you kidding me? Forget it. Her doctor said, not humanly possible. The urging that the couple had was only from one place, and that was God's promise. God made a promise, and they refused to give up on the Lord. All i got to say is, amazing. It wasn't that Abraham and Sarah didn't know the facts. They knew. Faith doesn't deny the facts. It just goes beyond the facts. It outreaches logic. Look at number five in your notes. When God promises contrary to the facts, faith stops listening to human reason and listens only to God. And I love this verse. This is another life verse that I've always shared. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Think about what this verse is actually saying. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, your human reason, your human ability, your logic. No. In all your ways, trust, acknowledge Him. And what will He do? He'll be a part of your life. And he will guide and direct your paths in the right direction as you trust in him. So, even though Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, they kept locking the bedroom door at night. Think about that. Imagine the clerk at the baby warehouse. Here they come in. We are looking for ourselves for a baby crib. What? Why? We're going to have a baby. You guys are nuts. <laughs> and the weird baby shower that Sarah must have had, the only lady at that baby shower present that believed she was really going to have a baby was Sarah herself. They humored her. Verse 20. They, he, did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was 
able to perform. So between the giving and receiving of Abraham's promise, there was 25 years. Waiting on the Lord is difficult. Have you ever been there? Yeah. It's difficult. That's why they ice the kicker when he gets up to kick a field goal. Sometimes they ice him as he's too late to stop. He kicks the field goal. It's good. They ice him. The next time he starts thinking, I don't know if I can do that again. And he kicks it to the right or to the left. But Abraham, he wasn't going to get iced. He was fully convinced that God was faithful. And he gave glory to God in in advance. In other words, he started the high fives before he even teed up the ball. Verse 22. And therefore, the faith that he put in his God, it was accounted to him for righteousness, period. That's great for Abraham. What about us? Well, Paul leaves no doubt. Look at what he says, verse 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone, not for this Abraham guy alone, that it was imputed to him. Oh, I like this. But also for us, for you and for me, for each one of us, it shall be imputed to us. It shall be put in our account for eternity who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered up because of my offenses because of our offenses and then was raised because of our justification as I've studied this last verse it's become it is actually becoming one of my favorite verses again. I'll probably bug you with it again in the future. Look at that. Verse 25. Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses. But he was raised because of our justification. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Goodness is credited to people who don't deserve it. As with Abraham, God gives us the righteousness we lack in exchange for the faith that we put in Him. I like that. And again, you might say, well, that's great for Abraham. But man, his faith was like perfect. I don't have perfect faith like Abraham did. Whoa, wait a minute. Time out. We don't have time to go into the Scriptures, but if you've read the Old Testament, and if you haven't, you should be. If you've read the Old Testament, and you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, this fascinating story, Abraham believed the promise, time started going by, and Abraham and Sarah, after, you know, they've locked the bedroom door. They've done everything they could. It's just not happening. 
and they go, well, maybe God needs some help. Huh. And you know his story, you know that the name Hagar isn't just a pair of slacks. There was a maid girl named Hagar. And Sarah, she sent her into Abraham's tent as her proxy to help God be able to keep his promise. Hagar went in a maid and came out a mom. Didn't forget that story. Don't forget it. Verse, or not verse, but number six in your notes. Obviously, Abraham also shows us faith doesn't have to be perfect in order to be affected. God's forgiveness covers even our struggles and our lapses of faith. Isn't he incredible? Amen. So this justification that verse 25 talks about is so awesome. God treats me just as if I'd never sinned, even when I stumble and fall short. All the Old Testament saints, every one of them failed in one way or another. They were flawed. As Pastor Jared shared with us the other Sunday, David stumbled and sinned. David was flawed. But not once in the, the sins of the Old Testament, not once are they rehashed in the New Testament. Evidently, when God forgives, He forgets. I like that. What do you mean? Well, I mean, when we give forgiveness humanly, and we mean it, still it haunts us. It's hard for us to forget what someone did to us. But God, when God chooses to forget our sins because they've been put on Christ, they're gone. They're gone. I like that. Your notes number seven on the cross. Jesus paid for our sins and was raised because of our justification. Raised, and this is what I'm understanding now, raised to continue to justify us by grace. What does that look like? What does that mean? Today, Jesus is alive and he's our advocate in heaven's throne itself. As our advocate, our defense attorney, Jesus always lives to make intercession for us continually. Look at Hebrews 7.25. He is able to save completely. And I like the King James to the uttermost. Those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them, for you and for me. Worship team, come on up. On the basis of Jesus' finished work on the cross, every sin I've ever committed, we've ever committed when we come to Jesus by faith, 
Every sin we're struggling with, even now. Every sin I will struggle with in the future as I come to Jesus by faith. It's forgiven. It's forgotten. It's gone. Oh, that's forgiveness. That's justification. That's such good news. And why is that possible? It's possible because our Savior who bore my sins and bore your sins on the cross rose from the dead and He's alive. And the accuser of the brethren comes in and he goes, that tally, he's done it again. I heard him. (laughs) He's blown it. And Jesus simply shows the Father the nail prints in his hands and says, he's mine. I died for him. He's mine. You see, Jesus is alive and he continually justifies me and justifies you. In this battle of law versus grace, Paul says, that's how grace wins every time. And we'll close with reading this verse again. He is able. He is able. Don't you love Jesus? He is able to save completely to the uttermost those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for me and for you. Amen? Good news. Let's stand and worship him as we close. on on law versus grace but isn't Jesus amazing and he's alive and he just keeps being our advocate and just he's simply our justification and he's all we need isn't he something in this battle that's why grace wins every time it's Jesus May the Lord richly bless you today. If you'd like to come up with and pray with a gal by the library or these guys up in front, that'd be great. God bless.